Institute for Faith and Freedom at Grove City College presents Liberty Mail with the Student Fellows of Faith and Freedom. Hello and welcome back to Liberty Mail. I'm Grace Riley. And I'm Aaron Jenks. And we're so happy to have you. We're here at the Underground Studio here at Grove City College for the Institute for Faith and Freedom. And we're so excited to bring you another episode today. And we're going to be talking about some cool things. But first, make sure that you check out our last episode of Liberty Mail. I was fortunate enough to interview Monique Dusson and Krista Bontrager on CRT. The episode is titled CRT and a Better Hope. And we discussed that really important topic that's difficult to navigate, talking about what CRT is, how we can look at that from a Christian perspective and a biblical worldview, and how Christians should respond to CRT, whether they're communicating with other Christians or whether they're talking to non-believers about the issue and about the truth there. So it was a really interesting conversation where I learned a lot, and it was really just a great talk that you should definitely check out. So you can find that anywhere that you listen to or watch Liberty Mail, so be sure to check that out. But Aaron will kick us off for today. Well, yeah, and just to add on to that, if you haven't checked out that episode, they do a really good job of going through, okay, this is where Christianity says you need to do X, Y, and Z in your life. This is uh, problems that CRT is trying to solve. Can we solve this with Christianity? What can we not accept from critical race theory as Christians? And just uh, how are they either compatible or incompatible at any level? And they did a really good job going through that. Um, No matter what your views are on the topic, I think you can come out of that uh, podcast or that episode last week with a really uh, appreciative value of of the conversation. And so today we wanted to really hop into, okay, so what are some conservative values? When people say conservatism, what do they usually think? What do they uh, associate with it? And we want to start off with uh, the idea of localism or subsidiary. And so when I say localism, it's stressing the, the local community and also the idea of subsidiary is stressing that you start there first. So before we get into any implications of policy with the federal government, which seems to be the only kind of uh, direction or, or path legislation comes from right now, it is, okay, how do we solve a problem for a very uh, limited people, a specific group in a community, and then also that these people in the community understand how to best uh, fix and prioritize any type of policy or legislation uh, yeah. for their people. I think just to start, before we go into those more community-centered problems, an interesting thing to think about that Jordan Peterson said was, set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. So mm-hmm. also, it's interesting to look at how do we as conservatives live our own lives in our own families and then expand outward from there to the local community um, before we kind of get into those bigger policy implications and what those look like. Yeah, really true, and uh, especially for the Christian, uh, having your own house in order. I like that, and we do appreciate uh, any kind of Peterson talk on the, oh, the yeah. podcast here. But uh, let's let's hop into explaining subsidiary, because I feel like that one gets uh, overviewed and then also gets uh, misconstrued with localism. And I think subsidiary really depends on, um, or, or at least touches specifically on the process of, of government and uh, policymaking decisions. And then... If you look into uh, specifically The Conservative Mind from uh, Russell Kirk, which is a phenomenal book, uh, he really talks about and draws on from uh, a Bur- or Edmund Burke where he says that the community is the little platoon, and this has to be thriving for any type of government uh, to be successful. 
And this is a strong tenant within conservatism that we still hold on to today as uh, younger conservatives. And he goes about in the conservative mind, and he says one of my one of what I like a lot. He says the conservatives must seek uh, the recovery of the true community, the local energies and cooperations, specifically stressing volunteer endeavors, um, social diversity, and where uh, spending time in diversity. Um, and, and then he also connects with the decay of this uh, leads to he posited crime and poverty. And so I, I wanted, as we're talking about this, where do you think um, we've kind of like strayed away? from community or, or local subsidiary uh, focuses? And then where are we still, where do you see, still see that local community stressed and still being important in the 21st century? Yeah, I would say looking at just our cities in general and looking at our communities in general, we can see these patterns and how different policies have impacted different places. The first thing that comes to mind um, for me is looking at just some of the crime in inner cities and how, you know, poverty has risen with the policies that have been enacted. And even currently looking at uh, cities run by leftists, the policies that are in place are not helping with those things. And they especially tend to advocate for, well, we need to help people be more even economically or more equal economically, and we need to take crime down and fix a lot of these inner city problems. But it seems that their policies, which have strayed from that more community aspect and have shifted into a bigger government view, that Mm -hmm. those policies have not helped and have had the opposite effect. So thinking about that and the fact that, yes, the conservative mind and conservatives believe that we do have to confront these things at more of a basic community level. And even um, as Russell Kirk says in his other book, The Concise Guide to Conservatism, Mm -hmm. he says that at heart, political problems are moral and religious problems. So if we start looking at politics by taking that moral and religious and community aspect out of it, I think that's where we're seeing a lot of these problems when we just think, oh, well, the state will solve all these problems and every everything should be secular. We should just take meaning out of everything. Mm. I think that we've seen that not working and um, we've seen the negative impacts. So I think we have seen success with more of a community focus and volunteering mixed in versus failure where everyone kind of stops that. They don't have the community. They're not volunteering. They yeah. want the government to just fix every problem and take care of everything when the government can't do that successfully. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time it's... Um inefficient to involve the, the highest uh, order or the, the largest order too, for that matter, uh, in this decision-making. Uh, yeah, in the decision-making. And so I also wanted to take the step or take a step back and think about it um, for anyone that's listening that is, I think, anywhere in the age of like a Gen Z or even millennials, like time and time again throughout my life, I've seen something on the internet happen, something on Twitter or, or Instagram goes viral, um, a cause specifically. And the amount of um, crowdsourcing and like the grassroots organization uh, skills to like then uh, create a GoFundMe for this person or some uh, like let's say if a community is hurt by a natural disaster, the ability for the local small group or the individual too in the collection of them to come together and then make something happen like raising a million dollars. So many times that I've seen that headline or seen the GoFundMe, and they they get it done efficiently to where. Okay, now if you have straying away from this idea of localism or subsidiary, it's okay, the government needs to act right now. The government uh, takes six months to act. Oh, wait, they're still not figuring stuff out. They're arguing. Um, and that's part of the process, which, which is fine. But when the conservative understands that when there is that immediate problem, 
you don't need to then go through that eighth month, eighth month, uh, year long process of going through Congress. Start in the local community. Start with the the mayor of the town, and even before you get to the mayor of the town, start with uh, the churches. And if you're not not someone of faith, start with uh, the community centers or something. Like even those uh, local food banks or anything, when can solve problems. And smaller organizations have more flexibility and then also more efficient in these times. Yes, and even as Christians, our heart posture should be to be doing this anyway, where mm-hmm. we understand that it is our job to, if we can, to help others. And if everyone in our communities had that attitude, we wouldn't have a lot of the problems we do, but obviously that isn't reality. And a lot of people do just kind of want to lean back and let other people solve their problems. Uh, and I think we see this in a lot of ways. But another interesting quote from Bert Folsom that kind of highlights that a little is just talking about the government and what the government's role is. He says, the government is not there to give you stuff or take stuff from someone else. It's there to protect the rights that God gave you. So the way that people view government and what they think they're entitled to and what the government's role should be in their lives versus what their own individual roles and responsibilities should be, I think ties into this a lot, where some some people think that, well, the government's just there to give me free stuff, uh, give erase my debt, give me as much, give me money so I don't have to work and I can be equal to other people. But that attitude just doesn't work. Um, it's not yeah. right, but it also just doesn't work. I think you're right for people who maybe aren't at least involved with what's happening in current events or who, who do, like you see these man-on-the-street videos and they're like, ah, I don't care about politics. So to those people, I think it does apply to where they're in general. It's kind of, okay, what's going to come easy? And um, I know that this authority has tremendous power, so maybe I should. it's best to let that happen. But then I think there's a, a large group of uh, anyone in America, like I think similar to us, who pay attention um, understand the decision-making process, and then they still opt for that larger arm of government to make the solutions. And so the breaking down that kind of thought process is what I'm so interested in because it, it always leads, I think, to either like abuses in power mm-hmm. or it leads to uh, policies not doing what they're supposed to do and just uh, errors upon errors kind of like over the years and what we've seen. Um, and then Time and time again, you see smaller groups um, being able to just fix problems. And specifically, um, you talk about like soup kitchens or you talk about uh, homeless shelters. And the amount of uh, people they are able to help in small communities is tremendous. But the government can't kind of do that for us. And it is up to these smaller groups. And uh, I applaud a lot of these smaller groups where at least I'm from in New York, where you see it time and time again. Yeah. And there are so many nonprofits too. And one example that, too, that yeah. I think of just now that maybe we could discuss kind of how to apply is the whole abortion debate and issue with Dobbs being overturned. A lot of people's reactions were, well, now if people can't get abortions, how are we going to give resources to mothers who aren't financially stable or wanted to have an abortion and can't legally now? How do we, if if we're wanting abortion to not be legal, then what fills that gap when mothers now can't get abortions? And what I would say to that is that that's the point that conservatives advocate for and Christians advocate for having that community aspect come in. And I think in this uh, situation especially, we've seen pro-life groups come forward with pregnancy centers, resources, uh, baby drives. I've, I even have a friend, her name is Christine Yargan, and she mm. set up a whole thing where people could donate 
to, you know, baby drives and GoFundMes for mothers that needed help. So the pro-life movement has largely come forth with this, but obviously that's, that's something that we need to continue to do and we need to continue to step up and kind of put our money where our mouth is. And I think we have been doing mm-hmm. that, or the conservative movement has, the pro-life movement has, but still it's something that obviously needs to expand more because if we, you know, want certain laws to change, how are we going to kind of fill in those gaps. Yeah, and I I believe a movement in that direction, what you've seen from Live Action and then Pro-Life mm-hmm. America, is, is such a winning cause and uh, such a winning uh, issue to be on like a ballot. And I, I thought we'd talk on this a little bit, is that uh, Kirk in a lot of his writings talk uh, talks about leadership and a balance between, okay, you have this localism, a focus on the community, but then leadership is kind of an answer to, I think, the left critique where they say, yeah, but no, no one's really getting out and actually doing this. Um, so that's where the government comes into play. Like we don't have groups like like Live Action working for causes that we believe in. So the government's our most uh, accessible arm of authority that we can use. And so I think to the answer, Russell Kirk always kind of talks about, okay, well, the conservatives, while you ought to be doing this at a local level, they need the correct leadership within government to vocalize that position and then restrain the power from the from the top down. And I thought it was a really cool uh, balance, but I don't know if we've, we've seen it too much in our generation. Maybe you can see it throughout history, but um, it's kind of what we're working towards in the conservative movement in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the idea, as Kirk talks about and other conservative leaders, of keeping the government smaller and keeping the roles of the government and the power that's then able to build up and become corrupt, keeping that smaller and uh, thinking about it in a way of the government has its job to protect our rights, but we also should have the freedom, liberty, and individual lib- rights, basically, to operate and dis- make decisions about our own lives and run our own lives and not have the government having a say in those things. Mm-hmm. But yes, with that comes, well, we need to then be active in our communities and be focused on those things. Yeah, and, and built within that, kind of bringing it back to what you were talking about, how this kind of applies so much to uh, the topic of abortion in this in America. And I think that, like, okay, yeah, we will say that you want to start at the most local level and work your way up the social ladder to uh, institutions um, and then smaller government, state government, whatever. But then it, it seems like it's been such a, uh, a huge win for conservatives just to see uh, localism or subsidiary play out in the fact that, okay, we've gotten a couple uh, wins, so to speak, where the federal government ha- is losing power and then returning it to the states. And I think with time again, you see other conservatives jumping on that idea without noticing that it is uh, a tenet of conservatism to be uh, localism or subsidiary. Yeah, absolutely. And just seeing that power transfer, I think, mm. is a really cool thing that we haven't really seen in our generation where something that has been in place for so long. So with Roe v. Wade in place for so long, when that just changed over at the federal level back to the states where states could change their laws, that was a huge change where now something um, like that is in a lot of states becoming not legal. So it is a really interesting way to look at this and see, well, what have we been doing to make sure that we're supporting Mm. mothers and their children? Because that is what we care about. And I've been really pleased to see a lot of organizations doing a lot to open pregnancy centers and give mothers resources that they need. So I think that's been great. But obviously, again, we have to continue on that and expand it and be thinking about that as far as other issues go as well and other 
policy and legislation that we yeah. support or don't. No, for sure. And like it can apply to so many. Like yeah. you could literally apply it to education, uh, apply it to the abortion topic. And I think we could each topic you can uh, yeah. kind of like dissect, and, right? Yeah. But, and even looking at education too with the private schools versus the public schools. I think looking at all these broader contexts and issues, the point is that we do things better when the government isn't involved and we do things better when they're more localized and when we can make things the best that they can be and compete effectively and make basically try to solve these problems as communities. And whenever we institutionalize or make something federal, like mm. public schools, for example, I would argue that they've largely gone downhill, whereas when you have more privatized things, they end up doing better. And I think there's a reason for that that kind of ties all this together. Yeah, and think about it like this. How many times have uh, you've heard this message of don't generalize in, in a large sense? It, it doesn't work out. Don't uh, generalize when you judge people. And then from our point, which I want to connect it to, is don't generalize when you pass legislation or when you implement policy because it, it, it doesn't work. And when you have the local levels when – okay, they're not generalizing because uh, the town of, of Fairport is only passing a policy for 3,000 people instead of the state of New York passing a legislative bill for however many million people are living in the state. And so generalization, I think we've seen that. And then you just understand that it doesn't work in, in majority of like anything. Yeah. Or at least we can apply it to the policy, not anything. But. Yeah. And it's the same as obviously you know, people vote differently in different states, talking mm. about the electoral college. If you generalize, then you're kind of mis being misleading because California is a totally different demographic and votes different ways for different reasons mm. than uh, one of the, you know, Utah does or one oh, of the yeah, random sure, states in the middle of the country. Mm. Just the point being that the cities vote a lot differently than rural areas. Mm. And just understanding that, yeah, policies are different should be like something like abortion shouldn't be a federal thing mm -hmm. and especially when we i think go back to what uh kirk says is that you need it for a righteous and morale or, or people with morality um okay if people are disagreeing on those then 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 please big government don't pass uh wide sweeping claims about uh policy or what should be an abortion law because I definitely disagree with a lot of people, and they definitely disagree with me. So let's just let's try to leave it to the smaller communities and then build up from there. Um, I think we want to jump to now, unless if you have anything else to add. Um, and I will stress again, volunteer programs and soup kitchens and stuff like that, get involved as much as you can. I've been blessed to have a family that kind of stressed that to me uh, at a young age, and it is some awesome stuff and rewarding too. Um, so we wanted to, on top of the topics and getting into conservative tenants uh, involve a news outlet or a news piece, right, as we did last year. And so Grace found uh, a pretty striking article about PayPal, if you want to hop into it. Yeah, absolutely. So PayPal, if you've heard this this week, basically, this happened over the weekend. But PayPal's stock just plummeted today, actually. But the reason is uh, that PayPal tried to implement a new policy that would have been effective on November 3rd, but they kind of put in the fine print, probably hoping no one would notice, that they <laughs> wanted to fine people $2,500 if 
they spread misinformation, and I say in quotes misinformation, mm-hmm. because the question is, well, who decides what misinformation is? And we've seen a lot on social media of people getting banned for political reasons and politically biased kind of bannings. Mm. A lot of conservatives being banned. For example, you can't talk about COVID or a vaccine. There are certain things that you can't talk about or you get flagged. You're putting us into trouble right now. Probably. Hot waters. Exactly. But that's the whole point. You get flagged if you mention certain words anyway. So Mm -hmm. who's deciding what misinformation is? And should a private company be able to take your money because they disagree with something you say politically. So people naturally were outraged at this, uh, freaked out over it. And basically the masses fled PayPal this weekend. They all pulled away from PayPal, deleted their accounts, mm-hmm. um, deleted the app and said, no, we're not doing that. Yeah. Wide, wide outlash and pushback from everyone, including the uh, former president of PayPal, uh, David Marcus, who he, he criticized the move and he said, Uh, And I quote, a private company now gets to decide to take your money if you say something they disagree with. Insanity. And he used to be the president of PayPal. Mm -hmm. So he's speaking against, as you Mm -hmm. said, he's speaking against... Many of his former colleagues, probably friends too. Yeah, which is huge. Even So even he disagreed with this. And I think, so what happened after this is PayPal, once basically the Mm -hmm. exodus of customers happened, (laughs) and yeah, yeah, and their stock is way down. They just completely... um, it was a horrible move for them business-wise. Mm. But they retreated, I think, as you were about to say, is that they, they took back this uh, action, and it's it's no longer going to be a policy. Too late, S- probably. It seems like they sh- should have seen that on the board meeting before it got uh, put into a news press. Yeah, well, and it's also interesting because they said, oh, they kind of tried to justify it saying, oh, this was a mistake, but obviously not, especially if the former president kind of legitimized it by mm-hmm. saying, wow, this isn't a good move. It, and I don't think anyone believes that it was a mistake. They they see what happens. And as so another thing, um, and this is in the, highlighted in the Fortune article, but Kevin Sorbo tweeted, PayPal isn't sorry, they're just mad they got caught. And I mm. think that's very simply how a lot of Americans feel after watching this whole thing on play, where they tried to kind of sneak this in to a long terms and terms of yeah. use thing where people weren't going to Five pages of nothing. Yeah, they tried to kind of insidiously sneak it in, not really tell users. Mm. And they were now they got caught, people found out, and... We're rightly outraged. Yeah, part of me wishes that it didn't get caught for like six months. One, maybe let's say one person, uh, some sad soul, got twenty five hundred dollars taken out of their account. But I just want to know what would what was going to be said that that caused that to happen. Then yeah, that's and that's the interesting question of what would misinformation have been defined as. Mm-hmm. And even yeah, I think just looking at what's happened on social media it tells us enough where it's very concerning that a private company like that can just all of a sudden say, oh, well, I don't think that that's correct. Then we'll take we'll take $2,500 out mm-hmm. of your account without asking you. Oh, yeah. So time and time again, I think at least last year has came up, but you have who is the arbitrator of truth. And so PayPal trying to act like they know how to uh, say what is objective and then what is uh, subjective in information terms. Uh, biting them in the rear end on this one for sure yeah and hopefully that's a lesson to other companies that were maybe considering doing the same thing because it's not going to work people are going to see through it so Mm -hmm. well we hope we hope that's true that other companies uh stay clear of this kind of idea decision making and so thank you for tuning in to liberty mail today before we wrap up today we i want to remind listeners that 
The Ronald uh, Reagan Lecture Series hosted at Grove City College is up and coming. And this year we have the uh, former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, coming to talk. And he will be the keynote speaker. There will be uh, several speakers before then uh, throughout the day. So you definitely want to check in to uh, faithandfreedom.com and check out what the Institute is up to in the upcoming month. But and that will be on the 3rd, I believe, November mm-hmm. 3rd, yes. But thank you for checking into Liberty Mail today. Uh, please like and subscribe below, and have a good one. For more information on the Institute for Faith and Freedom, visit faithandfreedom.com.